Can you hear me now? <clears throat> One, two, three. Let's stand to your feet. And if you would, why don't you shake two or three hands before we get started? So other people are coming in. We're going to go live here in just a moment. The church, they took my clock off of the mantle back there. <laughs> but they put it up here on my TV. See, I got my own TV right here. But you all can't see it. So... <laughs> Just me. You not you can't turn around and look anymore. So I'm excited about today. I've been praying about this. Been working on it for a little, a little while. I'm going to preach to you about Jephthah and his daughter. And you're going to need to listen up. Tell your neighbor. Say you've got some ears. You need to pay attention. This is a. So as we go into our praise and worship time, let the Holy Spirit just prepare your hearts for the Word to be sown into those. I believe all of us will be able to take some things home with us, and that's a tough story. I get it. Uh, but I like getting in tough stuff, don't you? Because God didn't put it in there for no reason. He put those things in there to minister to us, to show us a facet of who He is and what He's willing to do in our lives. Amen. I'll read to you from Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. Amen. You listen to these promises. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler Amen. and from the perilous pestilence. Amen. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. Amen. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Listen to these promises. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Oh, what a good word. Amen. Listen, there's only two things to do. You can either believe or doubt. There's no middle ground. You either believe or you don't. He says, uh, because you have made... Now, this conversation goes back and forth. There's a guy witnessing to somebody, and then he is... Evidently, he's been successful at that, because look at verse 9. He says, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your drum. So he's encouraging this guy, saying, hey... You've done what I've done. That's why you have these promises. Tell your neighbor, say, if you follow the Lord, this is why we have those promises. He says, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. This is a prophetic word, but it's also a word of our Father to all of us. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. Jesus talks about that in the New Testament. The young lion, the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. And then God steps into this congregation. Watch here. He says, because he, so he starts talking about the convert. Because he, I didn't mean to preach, but I can't help it. Because he has set his love upon me. See, that's capitalized. See, God stepped into the conversation. Bring God up and watch him show up. He said he'll bring his throne wherever he's praised. He said, I'll come in the middle of that. 
So we got to praise him this morning because that means God, according to the psalm, will bring his throne and set it in the middle of us. And what does that mean? That's what the Hebrew says in that psalm. It says when we praise him, he will bring his throne and put it in the middle of us. If he brings his throne, what does that mean? That means we have access to his authority, who he is, his power, his healing, his salvation, all of that. That's why we're here. We're here to glorify you. And so God says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. This is God talking. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation or my Yeshua. We're thankful for His salvation. Amen. Amen. We welcome all of you that have joined us around the globe and you that are watching and will get this podcast. We want to praise and worship God and invite His presence into our midst this morning. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise. He's worthy this morning. Let's give Him praise in this house. He's worthy. Amazing grace is what brought all of us into this family. Amen. I'm not just talking about the local family. I'm talking about your eternal family. We had two sister churches who had service about eight hours ago before us in Africa. And they're in the hot spot. Most of you know that. And I was praying for them this morning and I thought, I wonder how well our people would do going to service every week with no electricity no amplifiers, no microphones, how would they fare praising God and worshiping Him with none of those things which are not essential? But you all done good this morning. We didn't have a guitar guy or a drummer. And you did good. But think about that. We get dependent on certain things, but our brothers and sisters in Africa, they go to church all the time without any of that. Their only instrument is this, their hands. But they love God, and they go just as deep in worship as we do. Because it starts right here, don't it? Turn around and tell your neighbor, say, you're in a good spot this morning. <laughs> Children's church is dismissed. We have two nurseries next door. If you have a child that's nursery age, we've got two nurseries over there. And uh, the rest of you may be seated. It's good to see everybody this morning. We welcome all of you all, and we welcome all of you that are watching us around the globe. We're going to get into some tough stuff this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to take you down the valley and then bring you out on the other side. How about that? Um, <clears throat> have your Bibles. Turn with me to Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. As you're turning there, let me say a couple of things. Um, we, we have a, a little bit of security in this church now, and the main reason is because of the stand we take for Israel. That's what will get us in hot water more than anything. But guess what? We're not for sale. We're standing with Israel, amen. But if you recognize somebody that's doing security, come and tell me because we're going to fire them. You're not supposed to be able to they're like the guy who had, they got the badge of humility. Remember me telling you that? And they had to take it away from him because he wore it. 
<laughs> so the other thing I want you to pray about before we get in the Word today, we are prospecting putting a cafe in on this corner of our parking lot. It'll be for library and for a bookstore and for coffee and for Bibles. Our Bible studies are growing, and we're going to have a different setting, and we, we want to open it up through the week for people out in our community and try to reach the lost that way. So we're going to need volunteers. So just be praying with us about that so that we uh, can have that area, and that might be an area that we even actually do what we do on Sunday in there as, we, uh, as, that, as that unfolds. So pray about that. Also, we have first dibs on the property next door. None of that's changed, so that's all in God's timing. So just pray about that, and God, to God be the glory. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, uh, Judges chapter 11. In Judges chapter 11, we got this unusual character, Jephthah, and he is uh, an outcast, and he's in a tough situation. He brings a little hardship on himself, it appears, and we're going to work our way through this because I believe God's got some lessons for us in this. Now, his daughter comes into the story. Most of you know about this story. The main character, of course, is him. But they're trying to teach us some things and show us some things that will help us in our journey. So let's look at this verse 1. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. And it's kind of like uh, the guy who... Uh, had many great victories, a mighty man of valor uh, who had leprosy. Remember that? Naaman. And he had, but he still had a flaw, right? He still had a weakness. So this guy is a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Uh, Gilead begot Jephthah. Uh, Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Now, this is seeing Jesus already, right? He gets kicked out, outcast, right? You don't have the same father, you know, all this stuff. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, uh, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Have any of you all been in a lot time in your life where a bunch of worthless people hung out with you? We're not talking about current situations. Hopefully, <laughs> but we've all been in the place where we looked around and thought, how did I get here? All right. Uh, it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel, and so it was that the people of Ammon made war against Israel, and the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. So now we've got a situation. They know what kind of warrior he is. They kicked him out originally, and now they need him. What's that sound like? Sounds like us, don't it? Jesus, we don't need you now. But then something happens in our lives. Right? How many times did you turn him away before you embraced his love and mercy? Oh, we're good right now. We don't need you right now. We're good. So he's, he is a type of Savior. You see that. Uh, and so they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? What's that sound like? Jesus, right? Why have you come to me now and you are in distress? That's us, right? I mean, that is us. Turn away, Jesus, when we're having fun in our life, we're doing our own thing, and then all of a sudden, life comes crashing in. Hey, we better call on Jesus, right? 
And, and the, but the good news is, watch how this unfolds. <clears throat> it says, the elders Gideon said to Jephthah, uh, This is why we turn again to you, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? In other words, if I fix your problem, are you going to come under my authority? What's that sound like? Sounds like us. How many people do you know that ran to Jesus? We saw this after 9-11, right? They ran to Jesus just for a moment because out of fear or something, but they didn't want Him to be Lord of their life. Just get rid of my problem so I can go back to living my life. And Jethro's challenging that. He said, you going to come under my authority if I step in your moment? And that's what Jesus is asking, right? A lot of people just want a Jesus like, a, uh, like an ER room, right? Come fix my problem. Let me get back to going where I was headed to start with. And so he's challenging that, right? And that's what the Lord challenges in us when we call upon him. You're going to, uh, they said, if you, uh, so Jeff said to the elders, if you take me back home to fight against, uh, deliver them, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. And that's what we are, right? When we enter this covenant, there's a covenant being born right here. You see that covenant? That's, that's the kind of covenant that we're entering into. Then Jephthah went, the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head, commander over them. Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord of Mizpah. Now, being a Christian means you and I surrender our rights to someone else. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Being a Christian means I surrender. A lot of people don't want to be Christians. They just want to miss hell. They don't want to live the Christian life that's sacrificial, that prefers other people over themselves, whatever. They don't want to live that life, lay their life down. God may have something else for you to do with that money instead of spending it on yourself. They don't want that kind of authority in coming into their life. Now, Jephthah sent messengers to the king of people. And I didn't mean to lose all of you bringing up money there. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, Jephthah sent messengers to the king of people, Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? Uh, and the king, in verse, I'm sorry, king, verse 13 said, And the king of people, Ammon, answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land. Now, they're lying. Watch how this unfolds. When they came up out of Egypt from Arnon as far as Jabbok and Jordan, now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. He knew the word of God. This was a guy born from a harlot who had kicked out, of his, kicked out by his brothers out of God's place, right? He could have got mad. He could have got bitter and said, well, they don't want me with God. And their he, kept, he kept doing his business. He kept honoring God. You're going to see how much he honored God in just a few moments. This guy didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't get out there somewhere and say, well, nobody loves me. They all kicked me out. They all called me a, a bastard child and I'm out here on my own. He didn't turn away from God. He kept, because this guy knows some stuff. Watch what he says here. He says, uh, we went as far as, uh, by the Red Sea 
And verse uh, 17, Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh, and they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, came to the east side of the land of Moab, and camped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab. For the Arnon was at the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, please let us back. So Israel's being nice about all this, right? And you can read all this. This is actually what happened. You can read, but they're making up a story. They're lying. And they're trying to provoke these guys. And he says, But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and camped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land. Notice what he says. Very, very lot good wisdom here from Jephthah. Uh, Jephthah. Thus Israel gained possession of the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the country of the Amorites from Arnon to Jabbok, from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now, listen to what he said. He knows the word. He knows what God's done. And now the Lord God of Israel has disposed of the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? So I'm going to say something. We don't have to apologize for what God's doing. If God takes somebody's land and gives it to somebody else, that's His prerogative. Because He own, you understand, there is no ownership uh, vertically, only horizontally. This is my jacket, and you may have your jacket. But when it comes to God, you and I don't own a thing. And if God decides to transfer your wealth to somebody else, He can do that. He's done that all down through time. And so basically, Jephthah's saying, hey, this is God's doing, and we don't have to apologize. When that, uh, whoever he was, stood up in front of the parliament of Turkey and said to God's people down in Israel, said, you will suffer the wrath of Allah, and God dropped him dead right in the middle of the speech, then we don't have to apologize for that. Amen. Let God be true and everybody else be a liar. And I tell you what I believe we're getting ready to see. Everybody says, what the preacher thinks. We're getting ready for God to show up. And he, he's, when He shows up, He's going to be all God. He's going to start moving us toward that. You know what He's been doing since the 1980s? He's been disciplining His own people. You read Peter, he said, if uh, judgment starts at the house of God. If you go back into the 80s and have watched the trend in the, in the denominations and in the churches, God has been disciplining His people for just about 40-some years. But you know what he said? He said, I'm starting there, and then I'm coming after the world. Because God's going to, He's going to set it all right. Tell your neighbor, say, God's going to set it all right. I know we get frustrated sometimes looking out there at the craziness and the sinfulness and the debauchery that goes on, but I'm telling you, God is going to set it all right. He's going to, he's going to make it all right. There's nothing going to happen that is outside of God's jurisdiction. And so Jephthah's coming in this moment. He's, uh, I lost my scripture up there. <laughs> uh, where am I at? Verse 23. <clears throat> All right. And now the Lord God of Israel had disposed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will, uh, will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you? In other words, he put them on the, uh, on the trial. He said, let's see what your God can do. If you want this property back, go find your God. And see what he's going to do about it. He said, but I'm not apologizing for Jehovah. 
right? Uh, 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 when Elijah was going out at it with all the false gods, he said, hey, why don't you go call on your gods? Let's see if he'll bring some fire down. And then they went over there and they got so frustrated they were cutting themselves, jumping all over, acting like a bunch of idiots. And if you read the Hebrew, uh, Elijah says, maybe your God's asleep, maybe he's on vacation, that's how it says, or maybe he's in the bathroom. <laughs> they went nuts. And then what, what did Elijah do? He, he had them fill it full of water. Do you know why he had it filled full of water? Because God was not only going to testify to the people, but he was going to testify to these false priests. Because these false priests had fire tunnels. That's how they deceived the people. They would run fire up those tunnels and act like some false god had sent it down. And the people were deceived. So Elijah said, fill that thing full of water. And all those priests were standing there saying, well, he's not going to bring fire up through those tunnels if he's filled it all through the water. So you know how loving and how merciful God is? Not only did he testify and straighten out the people, but he straightened out these dumb, idiot, false preachers. And he said, he, when Elijah prayed, here come the fire. And there ain't nobody in that place that didn't know where that fire came from. It came from God. That's the God we serve. Now, I'm, I, I've, it's time for us to be bold. And it's not time for us to be bold about our own stuff. Quit fighting over your motorcycle. Or your four-wheeler. Or how much money you got in the bank. That's not what I'm talking about. It's time for us to stand with the Word of God, with the people of God, and not budge an inch. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's a good chance money's not going to be worth nothing anyway. So God's going to have to take care of all of us when it comes right down to it. And you know what? He said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He said, I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread. So we're coming today. Heck, we can't, we about jumped, some people about jumped out of windows a couple of days ago when AT&T went down. It's going to get worse than that. Can you tell your neighbor, say, cheer up, it's going to get worse. <laughs> will you not, he said, will you not possess whatever your God can do? So whatever the Lord our God has taken possession of before us, we will possess. In other words, we're not apologizing for God. If he gives us that land, we're taking the land because it's his land. Right? You remember the 12 spies? Listen, you're, if you're going to be a faither, somebody who lives in Pisteo and lives that faith, you're going to be in the minority. Think about this. It's always been that way. All 12 spies saw the same thing, but only two of them took God at His word. The other 10 had the whole church crying and bawling and scared to death. But two of them come in on the tail end of that and said, yeah, it's true. There's giants over there. It's true. There's grapes over there that need to be carried around on stage. But the Lord said, the land is ours. We should go take the land. That's got to be us. We got to be those people that stand with God because that's who will win in the end. And that whole generation had to die off. You know why they had to die off? Because of unbelief. And then the, the other two had to wait around for the next generation to lead them in. Now, don't be one of those people that have to die off because you're old and crusty. <laughs> Did I say that? I'm sorry. Uh, it ain't got nothing to do with being old and crusty. It's got something to do with faith. Now, you need to, go, you need to do this to yourself every day. Get up and look in the mirror and say, there's only two options today for you, brother. You're either going to believe or you're going to doubt. You need to remind yourself of that every day. There ain't but two options for you today. You're either going to believe God, take Him at His word, or you're going to look at everything else around you and doubt. We need to tell ourselves that every day. We need to remind ourselves of that. 
And verse 25 says, And now you are, a better, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? Why Israel dwelt in the Heshbon and its villages, and Arior and its villages, and the cities and the banks of Arnon for these 300 years? Why did you not recover them within that time? He said, What are you doing now? Therefore I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord the judge render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. I told him, right? I just told, that's what Jephthah was writing. I told him he's getting ready to get a whooping. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And there's the Holy Spirit, in case you were wondering. Yes, he was in the Old Testament. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah and Gilead and from Mizpah and Gilead and advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Here's where it gets tough. And said, I will indeed deliver the people out of Ammon into my hands. Then it will be the first that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return peace from the people of Ammon that shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Language. I'm a language geek now. Pay attention to how that's said. Surely the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And Jephthah advanced toward that. We'll come back to that. And Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them in the hands. He defeated them from Arior, from Mineth, twenty cities, and to Abel, Karamim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So God gave him the victory. When Jephthah came to, the house of, came to his house in Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Now we're going to see a little, another picture of Jesus. See that? The only begotten. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes. He, you know, underneath the house is where they kept their livestock a lot of times and different things going. So he was probably expecting a sheep an ox, something to come out. He wasn't expecting his daughter. The Bible says in Psalm 15, I believe, a faithful man swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, I made a promise, but it's, not, it's going to hurt me instead of help me. But I'm a man or a woman of my word, and I'm going to stick it out. I made a promise... It's going to cost me more money than I thought, but I made a promise, and I'm going to stick it out. Those are the people of integrity. So he says, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. Now let's think about this guy for a minute. He had every reason not to follow the Lord. He had every reason not to be a man of integrity. He was born from a harlot. He was born out of wit. All that stuff. He got kicked out. He had a bad reputation even though it wasn't his own fault. And this guy's still hanging on to God. And he's so committed to God that he swore to his own hurt and he will not change. Where are those people? We think when we're going through the middle of the trial, and it's our human nature to find the path of least resistance. You know, how many people would have run and said, oh God, let's work this out here. <clears throat> I knew a guy personally, very personally, who spent 10 years in prison for something he didn't do. 
While he was in prison, he got so much favor. It's kind of like Joseph. He got so much favor with God. And I would visit him some. He got so much favor with God that they would give him a special room to study his Bible. He fasted for 40 days while he was in prison. I waded through all this with him over time. He spent a little over a year. And they came to him after that first year while he was awaiting trial. And they said, if you'll confess that you did this, they said, we will let you go. Time served, probation. He called me. I went and had a meeting between the bars. Anyway, have you been around that stuff? You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> and he said, I'll never forget these words as long as I live. He said, Matthew, if I say that I did it, he said, I'll be lying. And I can't lie. This guy spent another eight and a half years in prison because he would not lie. Do you understand that they would have let him go? They were going to let him go. But he stayed in prison for eight and a half years. And every time I visited him, he was as happy as he could be. When he got out, he had nothing. Since he got out, he got a job. Somebody gave him an automobile. And somebody gave him a home. God rewarded. He didn't have any of that when he went in. And God gave every bit of that to him. You See, we get hung up in the time frame, don't we? Can't wait on God. And he said, you'd, we, he said, Matthew, you'd be amazed how many people I've been able to minister. Do you think God needs somebody on the inside of a prison? Sure He does. But it'd be hard to find somebody that would say, how many of us would have justified saying, well, my family needs me, or this person, I need to get out, I can get... Most of us wouldn't have done that, would we? Let's be real. Here we got another guy like that. Jephthah, he's in this moment. And he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, I can't go back. She said to him, my father, listen to how he's trained his daughter. We're talking about an outcast. A guy who grew up on the wrong side of the track. A guy who had every excuse not to do the right thing, but was faithful to do the right thing no matter what. That's the kind of guy we're talking about. Look how he's trained his daughter. She said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, and that's capitalized, so they both knew who the Lord was. They were, they, she, he had done a wonderful job about handing this off to his family. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. She said, Let's go along with it. Whatever covenant you've made to the Lord, she understood who the Lord was. And then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. We'll stop there. Let me give you a couple things here. What, let's look at Jephthah's situation. He was rejected. He was given victory over those who rejected him. He was triumphing over the enemies. He was willing to sacrifice his only child. And he kept his word to his own hurt. That is an awesome man right there. What about his daughter? She freely went along with her father's plan slash word. And she laid her glory and her desires aside. 
Matthew 26, 39. Anybody remember that? Not my will, but your will. Jesus left heaven, left all the benefits of that. His flesh said, hey, I don't want to do this. But His Spirit came, overcome. Same situation. You see the Lord in all this? See why the Lord was given all this play right ahead of time, quote unquote? She was willing to do it and lay her life down. Now let me say a thing. Jephthah's daughter, uh, I'm going to read you some stuff I jotted down because I want to make sure you get the whole picture of what's going on here. Jephthah's daughter will die unconsummated, unfulfilled, not having achieved full intimacy and without children. That's how she'll die. Now, the argument is whether he actually sacrificed her. And this is an argument that goes on in theological circles. If he actually physically sacrificed her, or if he just kept her a virgin for the rest of her life, she never got to experience all the things that she longed to do. That really doesn't matter in this context. The Bible says, he, he says, She surely will be the Lord's, I will offer it up. Whatever come out, he said, I will offer it up. That don't mean God accepted it. He could have done him like he did Abraham. Hey, we're not doing that today. Go over here and sacrifice this lamb that's called in the thicket. We don't know the final outcome. But what I want you to see is how these people played their roles to show us these facets of God. She, she was unconsummated. She asked for a time to grieve. Now listen. The incompleteness of her life. Now, forget about whether she actually died or she just remained a virgin the rest of her life. She left her desires on the table. She walked away from it. I want to say a word to you because I know the Holy Spirit's been working with me for a few weeks on this stuff. If you don't find you a place to grieve things that have been lost and move on from it, you'll get stuck. You'll get stuck. Grieving is a natural process that we all have the ability to do. Most of us just associate that with dying, somebody who dies, but there's a lot more to life than that. Sometimes we have to grieve. <clears throat> we all need time to mourn what's incomplete and not consummated in our own lives. We all... And think about this question, and you fill in the blank in your own mind. Life should have been different because... And there's probably a question like that in everybody's mind. If I hadn't have taken that turn, if I'd have done that, all of that, somewhere you've got to lay that stuff aside. Because if you don't, and I've watched this, if you don't, even though you didn't get what you thought you wanted or desired, whatever, you fill in the blank you'll still find yourself preoccupied with that when you're 60 and 70 and 80 years old. you got to take that thing to the wilderness, grieve over it, and leave it out there. That's why they took the scapegoat out of the camp. You and I have to take that scapegoat out of the, out of the camp. Turn it loose. Turn it loose. Now, as we come into Christianity, it should, 
bring a whole new perspective into that, right? As we understand the work of Christ in our life. Let me read you a few more things I, I uh, had thoughts about. In the natural, we all have this dilemma of Jephthah's daughter, don't we, right? Man, if they only could have seen me, the NBA would have drafted me if they could have only seen me. But I was so short, they looked right over. <laughs> right. That's my dilemma. That's not my dilemma. It's like the guy that says he's denying himself a Rolls Royce and he couldn't afford one anyway, right? <clears throat> he says, in the natural, we all have a dilemma of Jephthah's daughter. We all have incomplete things in our lives. Things that didn't happen, things that didn't done. And some of them may have not needed to happen, but sometimes we, we think, man, I, I wish that would have happened, right? And it did not, and we did not realize all of our dreams. And the problem with not putting those things to death and grieving over them is they will haunt you as you get older. And they'll make you miserable because at this point, you can't even do the things you could have done 30 years ago. Amen. <laughs> Here's the problem. We cannot account for the interruptions along the way, can we? We don't know it. Only God's been around the corner before we get there. We don't know the interruptions that are coming in our lives. So if you don't have Jesus in front of you, your whole perspective will be miserable because you'll see all these things that could have been. But once you get Jesus as the center of your life, then you start giving the, the will, your will over to Him. Then you start allowing His will to be your will. That's when life really can get focused. And then you're not really missing out on... Do you realize if you're letting the Lord lead your life, you're not missing out on anything. He's taking you exactly where you need to go. It's when we take shortcuts, and even Christians can do that. I'm not just talking about a lost person. Even Christians can do that. We can take shortcuts. We can take a path. He's saying go left, and we went right. Just because we saw something, right? Or we thought something. God, God will use your brain, but He don't need it. He wants to use it, but He don't need it. You think about Gideon. God done stuff that made it, had to make his brain mad. He had 20, close to 30,000. They had almost 130,000. He's getting ready to go to battle. And God says, mm, got too many. <laughs> what? <laughs> we got one-fifth of what they got, and we have too many? They got too many. And then he said, no. Nah. He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, everybody's a scaredy cat. He didn't say it that way. but He said, tell them to go to the house. I can't use them. That's a word for all of us, right? Then he said, he got down, what did he get down to 10,000? Then he said, take him down to the brook, and you know he wound up with 300. He's probably thinking, they didn't teach me this in math. I'm missing something here, right? God will do stuff that make your brain mad, right? And so you've got to make sure that you stay focused on Him. Remember me, and thanks to Neil sharing this article with me, I did some research. Remember me talking about the difference between block logic and linear logic? How that Hebrews were trained to think in the moment that this can be true no matter what's going on around them? That's who we're supposed to be as Christians. Hey, what, what do you think they were thinking when Moses was standing in front of the Red Sea and said, stand still and see the Yeshua or the salvation of the Lord? They were thinking, what? What's he talking about? Has he lost his mind? Right? But that, that's, know the moment. Your God, they said, we got a fire God. 
They said, we got a water God, and we got a sun God, and we got a this God, and a that God, and a fish head God, and you can go on and on. And Paul come in and said, hey, I got a God that's over top of all them. He's the God of the heavens, and the earth, the sun, and the moon, the sea, and all of that. That's why you can live in block logic. You don't have to know what tomorrow holds. You and I don't get that. He said, don't even think of, take a thought about tomorrow. Just live in the moment. Your God is with you today. If He gives you tomorrow, so be it. If He don't, you'll be in heaven. What a bad place to wind up. Amen. 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 Then, then here's some other thoughts I want you to hear. So we don't, have, we don't have the ability to understand interruptions that are coming our way. The things out of our own control. These who are, those who are determined to obey God and His Word have a different perspective even in the twists and turns because we know, we, we read the Bible. The Bible says that suffering does us good, that when we suffer it's doing things inside, and some things can only be gleaned through suffering. The, uh, not living a life surrendered causes us to not accept the moment of disappointment. Because there'll be some moments of disappointment. This girl was disappointed. But her spirituality, mind you, the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament, but not like He's in the New Testament. Jesus told His disciples before the Holy Spirit fell on the Acts, He said, "My spirit, the Spirit is with you. So there's no question the Holy Spirit was back there before Adam was created. He said, the Spirit is with you, but He shall be in you. So they didn't have the Holy Spirit in the measure we have in the New Testament. But yet this woman was consecrated to God. She was disappointed. She was frustrated. She had, had to surrender. But if you're not surrendered to God, when moments of disappointment will come... Listen, I've watched people. I've done this for a long time now. Almost 40 years been in the ministry and been in it full time for almost 34. The, the, I've watched people lose something. Sometimes it's a loved one or whatever. And turn on God. The, the disappointment of the moment because they were not surrendered to God consumed them and destroyed them. Get mad at God. You all run, we've all run into people who are mad at God. The only way out of here. We've all run into people who've got in that moment because God, they've not surrendered. And so we have this disappointment. No, not living a life of surrender causes us not to accept the moment of disappointment and leaves us in the pursuit of the thing we wish we could have attained or held on to. And some people live their whole lives that way. Because, they can't, because God is not the center of their life and they can't accept the moment of disappointment, they live the rest of their life in a disappointment. Do you know I know people that have unforgiveness in their heart and somebody who's in the grave, been in the grave for 25 years, still controls that person because they wouldn't let unforgiveness go. Think about that. What a horrible place to be, to be controlled by somebody who's been dead for 25 years because you can't let for, uh, unforgiveness go. And then he says, of the thing which we wish, or I said, the thing which we could attain, even though it's unattainable or not even God's will. If God took somebody home, He done it for a reason. If, he, if somebody in your circle passes on and they went to heaven, God done that for a reason. You're not as smart as He is. 
I'm not either. So when God, I've told you this many times, you keep having faith. You believe God's going to raise them up. You believe God's whatever. You keep, that's, all we, that's where we live. But sometimes our faith and God's sovereignty collide. When that happens, God's sovereignty wins. He knows tomorrow we do not. But you keep having faith. Just because God overrode you don't mean you stop having faith. He, over, he overrides us sometimes because He's a billion times smarter than we are. And He loves the person that we think we love more than anybody else a billion times more than we love them. We didn't hang on the tree for them. So when God makes a decision, you need to learn to live with it and love it and embrace it. He's way smarter than we are. It might not happen overnight, but go out in the wilderness and give yourself time to grieve and put it behind you and let's move on. Forgetting those things that are behind. I press on. Can you imagine having this conversation with somebody that's died and went to heaven? Call them on the phone. Which, uh, it don't work. Cell towers are down. But let's call them anyhow. <laughs> God's cell tower's not down, right? Remember that old song? Operator, information, give me Jesus on the line. <laughs> remember that song? Am I that old? You remember it, don't you, Craig? We sang that, didn't we? <laughs> So you call up and say, let me speak to so-and-so, my loved one. And you say to them, would you consider, would you see if you can talk God into sending you back down and help click? <laughs> they're not coming back here. Anybody that's crossed over into heaven, they're staying. So we're giving them into safekeeping. Can you say amen? amen. Now, I want to share some things with you. Man, I, I, I might have to preach two Sundays on this same message because there's so much to get to here. <clears throat> I'm going to share something with you that I've only shared with my wife. When I was growing up, <clears throat> most of you know I got called to preach when I was a junior in high school, and I didn't want to preach then. I, didn't, I knew better than to tell God no, because I was raised right, and uh, I was walking with the Lord and been filled with the Spirit. I knew, and I was in the Word, but I just told the Lord I'd preach later, right? <clears throat> and that didn't work out too well. And I'm not going to get into that testimony, but what I want to say to you, all of my life, I, when I was probably a young teenager, I went into the highest, way back, furthest holler in my whole area. Further in the holler than I grew up. And, and when you got back there, it opened up and the, on top of that mountain, and there were farms. That was one of the only places we had farms, was this particular venue in a deep holler. <clears throat> And back there, they, when they centralized all the schools, this, this particular hauler so far back, some of you know what I'm talking about, they couldn't centralize that school. They had to leave it back there. That's how far away they were from everybody else. But ever since I took that trip and I visited this family and I was back there, I longed to be a farmer. I just saw myself like the dude on Green Acres, right? Riding that tractor having to climb a telephone pole to get the phone. I, just, I, saw, I saw raising my children on a farm with a creek and a pond and just kind of secluded. Now, think about this. This guy who gets up and talks in front of the whole world, I, I live my, I've lived half, over half my life wishing I were a farmer. And when you get heavy, you get ministry, the loads that get in ministry makes you want to be a farmer even more. But about 15 years ago, maybe 12, I realized 
that wasn't going to happen. That was my desire. But it bothered me. It especially bothered me when pressure got tight. You know what I'm saying? You're thinking, man, I just wish I was on that farm way back in that holler getting eggs out of the chicken house, you know. And we've all got that, right? Maybe yours is not having a chicken house with eggs in it, but something where you look for, you think, man, if I was there, that would be my relief valve right there. If I was there, if I could just go there. And it realized, here's what I realized about 12 or 15 years ago. I realized that my desire for that was a hindrance to me. And somewhere, I kept that out there as an option. Are you listening to me? This girl didn't leave herself no options. She said, whatever you told the Lord, that's what we're going to do. So I had to bury that. I had to grieve that. <clears throat> I know that may sound strange to you. Maybe it don't. Maybe some of you all have high-pressured positions. You understand what I'm talking about. But <clears throat> I had to leave it. I had to just lay it down. I realized that what I desired to be a farmer and what God desired was two different things. And I had to lay it down. I had to go grieve it. I had to bereave it and let it go. Because I realized as I got older, it wasn't going away. I'll never forget the day that I went to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm going to lay this dream aside. It's, it's stuck in my crawl, so to speak. And I, it's, it's just always there. And I said, I'm going to give it up because I know that's not your will for me in this life. The, you know, some of those things, many of those things, especially if you're a believer, they're not seeing issues, but they're getting in the way. You know, we're told to dream all the time, right? They teach us that as we're growing up. <clears throat> but I'm going to say something to you. Dreaming without Jesus ain't a good thing. Because he, He's got a specific place. And what if, what if, what if I had to turn God down? And decided to do my will instead of His. That probably wouldn't have been good for me. But think about what I'd have been accountable for. And I want you to ask yourself that same question. You may have a life like you like. But is it the one God chose? You may have a setup in your situation that works for you. That don't put any stress on you. Or don't stretch you. But is that what God's intention is? Can you imagine being there that day? Jephthah walking out and seeing his daughter coming at him. Whole different scenario than the prodigal, wouldn't it? The prodigal's coming home and his dad is pumped. And Jephthah's looking at his daughter thinking, what have I done? I've thought about that. I've thought about those moments when you think, Man, wish that could have worked differently, right? I wish I could have fixed that or done that. Here she comes, and she's so committed to God and to her Father that she willfully, hear Jesus in there? She willfully submits. Man, i got a lot to go over, so I'm not going to get to all of it. So it'll probably be part two next Sunday. But here, let me give you a few things before I quit.
I heard this the other day and it pierced my heart. Are you living your life for the glory of God? Or not? If you get into a situation that's tough, maybe get into a sickness or a troubled time financially, are you still looking to give God glory? Or are you living your life planning for only down here? The Bible says, and I read this, what caused this to stir up in me, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. I'll share one more thing with you and I'll close and we'll come back and wrap this up next week unless the Lord gives me some different instruction. Uh, in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11, I wanted to give you some New Testament characters with this same same commitment that Jephthah had and we'll and then show you how that works itself out in the New Testament but uh Hebrews eleven thirteen says these all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were assured of them what have you dreamed about that hasn't come to pass what have you seen they embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I thought, when I read that this last couple of weeks ago, and then this all started, is my life, am I, have I geared my life just for, for God's glory? I thought, who lives like that? Who lives like that? Who lives in a way that we act like pilgrims and strangers? For though who say such things plainly that say they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire better, that is a heavenly country. That word the homeland is a word that means like your hometown. These people believed that their hometown was heaven, not here. That's what that Greek word means. It means it's like your hometown. When I, I've been going to Sister Mary's for a long time, the orphanage, and, I, and you all know that. When I, I started taking some folks from central Kentucky here <clears throat> to go over with the first group I took, we stopped at a Dairy Queen. Yeah, they have a Dairy Queen. It's right back in the middle of the mountains. And there it is, out of nowhere, Dairy Queen. Feels like God showed up, you know, when you see that. <clears throat> I don't know if those, but I'm from the mountains, right? And so I went in there, ordered, these other three guys with me ordered, and we started going back through the restaurant, and the people that were in the restaurant all spoke to me, but they didn't speak to any of them. I, I, maybe they heard me order, you know, knew I was a mountain boy or whatever. But, because it was home, right? They felt... I, they, we talked about when we said table, they were feeling a little bit weird. I said, it's all good. But they, there's a home feeling, right? And that's how these people are. They were, that's, they were thinking their heaven is their home. And then I want to take you to Matthew 16 real quickly. And I'm going to tell you another story about a boy and then I'll close. I'm going to spend two, two passages here in Matthew. Matthew 16. Verse 24. Uh, oh, I forgot I'm the only one that's got a clock. I guess that's... Uh, 
Then Jesus said to His disciples in Matthew 16, 24, He said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His holy angels, and He will reward each one according to His works. The word life there is suchi. There's other words that we translate life in English. Zoe is another one. There's several words, but suchi is here. Suchi is the Greek word that means your natural life, your physical life. So that's what he's talking about. If you go back to Matthew 6, and then I'll close in verse 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. But we do, don't we? This is some strong language because it's, I understand. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his, cubit to his stature, which is... Uh, about the length of your days. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not so much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek the kingdom of God and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about the own, its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, talking about the physical life. And that's what pushes us around the most, isn't it? Whether it's a temptation or fear or doubt, that's, that physical life is what gives us our competition. And so he's challenged us on that. And we'll dig some more around that as I close with this story. I wasn't in the ministry full time, but I was in the ministry and just waiting on my moment. Still worked in the mines, actually. There's a young boy who was out of high school. And uh, I knew him. Well, I knew his family. Good family. Went to church. Good, good Christian people. But when he was 19, he had a job. He wasn't at college, and maybe was going to school locally or something, but he had a job, worked, really, really good spirit about him, just somebody easy to be around, you know. <clears throat> and then they came to church one day and said, he's got leukemia. Probably the best teenager in the whole church, you know, I mean, he was that guy. And uh, they said he's got leukemia. And they run the test, and he wasn't going to live but a couple of years, max, two or three years. That event kicked him into another gear. He decided that if he was going to live for two or three years, God was going to get all the glory out of his life. Young man, who I think he died when he was 21, they said the stories that came up while he was living and after he was dead, they said he was leading people to Christ in Walmart, 
He would drop whatever he was doing. He would go to a ball game. He would share. He, his whole heart was that if I, get, if I have two years left, God is going to get all the glory out of it. And he did. That young man probably done more witnessing and leading people to Christ in two years than most people do in a lifetime. Now there's my question. You guys can come to the answer. Give them a little hope. Hope with a question mark. Is that your heart? Is your heart for God to get all the glory out of your life? Whether in sickness or in health. Whether in poverty or in wealth. Whether you're loved or hated. Is your desire that God gets all the glory out of your life? Or do you have your own agenda? Well, if you have your own agenda or if parts of your agenda, because I know we all know how life works. If parts of your agenda are still pushing you around, would you consider going out into the wilderness and grieving that part of your agenda and leaving it out there and returning home without it? Let's stand our feet. What haunts you? Is it something you didn't see happen? Is it something you did see happen? And what event in my life or your life will cause you to turn and live the rest of your life for the glory of God. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about good people who try to juggle life. Don't we all try to do that? We do. Maybe we ought to take another look and run out in the wilderness and grieve over a few things and bury them out there and come back ready to give God more of our lives. Father, we thank you for this moment. We don't have answers to everything, but you do. We've not been around the corner, but you have. We don't own tomorrow, but you do. And I'm so thankful for this powerful story of two of the most unlikely people who would be that committed to you. Give us all strength and comfort. Because everybody in here has been a sinner. We've all done things we wished we hadn't have done. And we all understand your power and authority. Help us, Lord, not to give you part of our lives, but help us to give you all of our lives. Teach us how to surrender. Because we're racing toward the end of the age. And it's not going to matter who's the smartest or who's the richest or who's the most talented. The only thing that's going to be left is the ones that have come into the family of God. Let us be like that young man. Let us give our lives away so that you might be glorified. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we invite you to come surrender your life. Maybe you're here and you're the prodigal. Maybe you're here and you're on the moment like Jephthah's daughter. Something just nags you because life just didn't turn out the way you thought it would. 
in some situations. Would you run out there with her? Would you be one of those maidens this morning and run out there with her and grieve that thing and bury it? Let it go like a scapegoat. This altar's open. Will you come?